Thanks very much indeed. I'm going to stand up here for the moment and then I'll probably move away from the lectern. Can you, if I stand over here, can you all hear me at the back? Good. I have a very loud voice because <laughs> I'm used to bossing people about. Okay. Uh, and I'm also conscious this is your last session. So, and you've had a very full day. I can also see some colleagues in the audience who I have worked with. So it's very nice to see. I think I saw John and Vanny. As uh, Stephen's just mentioned, I have a slightly quixotic career, I suppose. I began my life actually as a, as a barrister and have met a colleague who, where we studied law together a long, long time ago. And then I, I moved into local government, which is where we, we met, and I was a chief exec. Somebody reminded me, actually, I was the youngest chief exec in the country in my early 30s, which is a bit of a challenge because I'm only 37 now, you understand. <laughs> So that's why that quarter of a century bit was a bit worrying from Stephen, so I don't believe what he says. Anyway, and I worked in three local authorities as a chief exec, and during that time had a huge amount of work with the, with the health sector. My final job in, in local authorities was, was Lambeth and, and worked with some fantastic hospitals and health authorities during that time. And then I, I left that world and moved fundamentally, basically, into the slightly mad world of media. But... Throughout my executive career, I have combined it with a non-executive career. And I've, I have actually found that both hugely interesting and at times very challenging. I do think being grounded elsewhere as, a, as an executive, uh, at the moment I'm, I'm running a media production company literally just down the road, means that I have a real sense of what is the difference between what I'm trying to do in my executive day-to-day job and when I'm in my non-executive world. And in that non-executive world, I have a a mix in my current portfolio. And again, I'd like to say that there is some logic, but I'm not sure I can. So my portfolio at the moment is that I chair audit and risk for Crossrail, which is the biggest infrastructure project in Europe. It's 15 billion. You probably see wherever you go in London, various Crossrail boards, and we are tunnelling under London as we speak. And it's obviously a massive project building a new railway. So I chair audit and risk for Crossrail and I have been there for some five years. I'm on the board of (coughs) Grosvenor, which is the Duke of Westminster's private company, which obviously looks after Grosvenor and Mayfair. It does developments both in London and across the country. I am the first woman on the board of the FA. Well, I was till about 20 minutes ago, but I've just done an interview for Sky Sports News, so I might get a call from my chairman about what I've just said. So I'm on the board of the FA. I chair a charity called Malaria No More, and I've just been appointed by William Hague to be on the supervisory board of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, where we look at a number of agendas from trade and prosperity to risk and of course I can't talk about any of it because I've signed the official Secrets Act so I won't tell you lots of glorious stories from the FCO sadly today. So it's a very it's a it's a it's an interesting and a very different mix and I thought I'd just try and sort of start by saying a sort of few giving you a couple of stories really about my experiences which hopefully touch upon some of the themes that you will have been talking about in the course of the day. And then I know that you've had a whole series of sessions this afternoon. Really try and have a conversation. I know it's still a bit of a large room, but let's try and have a conversation about what are the top of mind issues for you as you come to the end of this day of learning for yourselves. And I appreciate that some of you are hugely experienced non-execs and others are probably relatively new. 
to both being a non-exec and also maybe a number of you, by us being experienced non-execs, are new to the world of health. And as I'm sure you're appreciating, there's a whole different set of dynamics involved in the world that you are currently taking responsibility and oversight for. My first non-exec actually was to be a governor of the BBC when I was the chief exec of Lambeth. And being the chief executive of Lambeth, which at that time was considered to be the worst authority in the country, and it was the worst authority in the country, meant that I was, I can still remember that sort of first moment where I um, was sort of leaving the town hall with my phone going crazy because we had more squatters, we had more housing benefit fraud. I think at that time, I just, we'd launched with the police a criminal investigation, which included the deputy leader of the Conservative group at the time. And, you know, as ever, the standard was on the, on the story. And so I sort of was leaving all of this slightly crazy moment to go into the hallowed corridors of Bush House as a BBC governor and sat in a, an incredibly sort of, you know, oak, beautifully designed, lots of portraits of previous chairmen around the, around the room. And Christopher Bland was the chairman. And it literally felt like I'd walked into a totally different culture and environment which had its own language, its own set of rules, its own set of acronyms, its behaviours were totally different to what I had ever previously encountered. And no matter where I have been as a non-exec, whether it's the FA or Grosvenor, each board has its own rhythm and culture. And I think one of the first task that I'm sure all of you are trying to come to terms with is how you understand that culture, but also how you don't become captured by it either. Because the crucial purpose of why you are all there and we are all there as non-execs is to do something that is very, very different from that day-to-day executive role. It is about maintaining that sense of what does the big picture look like? What is the strategy that we are seeking to implement? How do we understand whether that strategy is being effective in terms of quality, in terms of financial performance, in terms of while we're achieving targets? And how do we also adjust our strategy in the light of various events? And at the same time as being able to do that, it is also about being able to question and challenge, is this the only way to do this service? Is there another way that is actually not part of this cultural conversation? And I'm going to come back to that later. But when you first arrive, I think, in any any boardroom, it's partly about, and it, I always think it takes about at least six months, certainly at the FA, I'm in my first year, and I think it will take me longer, But it takes at least six months, I think, to begin to understand what is happening in the room. And I think applying yourselves to both learning what's happening in the room, talking to both your non-exec colleagues, but also your executive colleagues, to get some further insight into what are the issues that actually behind that boardroom moment are top of their agendas. So investing time with the people, I think, is one of the ways which helps you engender a real sense of openness and trust and partnership at board level. Because if you do not have that, then when it comes to really tricky 
difficult and challenging moments of which there will always be a number, and particularly in the area that you are all involved in. If you don't have that openness, then what happens is everybody shuts up shop. Executives become defensive. It gets very difficult to actually understand what's lying behind the answers to your, you know, the, the, the answers they're giving you to your questions. So I think what I learned in that, in my very first role, was fundamentally about just trying to get that first piece of familiarity right, but maintaining a sense of distance. And in a way, I was helped in terms of maintaining distance by the fact that I had to run an organisation elsewhere. If all of your life is about being a non-exec, it it's always helpful to be mindful that you're not starting to drift more and more into a level of detail and operations. Standing back, standing back, standing back, looking, thinking, being proactive, reading what's not only happening in the room but what's happening in the environment around you that's relevant to your company or to your particular health authority, to your health service, to your hospital. That's what you're trying to do all the time. So I think that's the first point I wanted just to touch on. I think the second I wanted to touch on is risk because risk is increasingly one of the issues that dominates many of my board agendas, wherever I am. And clearly, in your environment, is even more crucial and important. So how you set up your risk committees, whether you align it with audit, is obviously always an option. But how you understand risk as a board is fundamental. And I just thought I'd touch upon my experience at, at Crossrail. So Crosswell is absolutely about building a new <coughs> railway, digging these huge tunnels under some very, very sensitive parts of, of London. And part of my task as chair of risk is, and I think it's true actually across the piece, is to ask what I call the stupid questions. I am not an engineer. I have no idea how the complexity of engineering works. But one of the questions I am trying to ask in terms of risk is, what happens, what would be the consequence if the, the settlement, for example, moves not by what you're saying is a tolerance of three millimetres, but by six? You know, will we do to the Dome of St Paul's what the Germans fail to do? And I don't want that happening on my watch. And I have to say, all these engineers look at me in a slight state of shock. But it's actually about understanding, because you know, risk from the experts gets seen through their own disciplines. You are trying to understand what does risk mean for your patients, for your doctors, for the people working for you, and, of course, for all of the people who rely on the service when they walk through the door. And actually asking the question from that end of the telescope is, is I think, fundamental. The other, and this was a really interesting lesson from BP, you recall their disaster, was it two years ago? where oil just spewed forth into the Gulf of Mexico. When I talked with their risk members, they had fundamental drilling failure as a risk on their risk register. But it was something like 150th because it had low probability but high impact. And they never went down the low probability risk register. They stuck at you know, high probabilities, high risk, maybe into some of the medium areas, but actually they never totally addressed it when and you could see that as clearly they struggled to deal with what was the crisis management they had to put in place they're actually trying to understand risk from the end of the telescope which is 
Well, there may be low probability, but if this happens, what is it that we need to do? Who needs to call who? What are the plans? All of those scenarios that you need to test, I think, are fantastic. Well, not fantastic. They are hugely important. And therefore, for yourselves, in a highly event-driven environment, because stuff will always happen, how you understand risk, I think, is probably one of the critical areas for your endeavour. I think the other, which goes back to my first point, is about radical challenge in environments which are really culturally set in their ways. And the FA, I would say, has you know some really... It's, it's a very difficult organisation in terms of trying to be innovative, in terms of trying to say, well, why do we do it quite like this? There's lots of vested interests in the board. It's quite difficult to navigate your way through. In your area, in particular, I suspect that, and I know from my own experience of it, that when putting forward an idea that is about, can we do this differently, you're sort of usually met with the working group syndrome, which is, we'll set up a working group, we'll have a look at it, and, you know, in 18 months' time, when you've lost the will to live, it sort of all disappeared. And that is very tricky, because if you push it too hard, you'll just get the resistance of the executive, and yet if you work in the full rhythm of the culture of the place that you are in, you also won't make progress. Now, one of the ways that I, I try and deal with this issue is sometimes by going back to the point about risk and running scenarios that means that it, what that exposes is that actually if we did it differently or we had a different approach, we would have A, mitigated the risk, but it begins to pose a business change. It begins to pose a change to the business model or the service model that, that you are running. And actually, the, the advantage of doing it in those scenario-type ways is that people don't feel so defensive. It becomes a much more exploratory conversation. And by doing it, if you like, through that vehicle, you be, can begin to explore, well, could we, could we do it differently? I think the other, of course, is the really challenging financial times that we're all living in. You know, I'm, I, I'm uh, involved in charities that have been used to real significant levels of public investment. They are facing a cliff that we will not get that public investment in the future. Can we use the fact that the model, the numbers, are fundamentally going to change to pose the question about how we change our delivery? Because if we don't do that, then the risk in terms of not being able to balance the books around being out of money, out of investment, giving, given the fact that there are rising demands all the time in healthcare, you will not be able to meet that objective, which is fundamental to the strategy. It's fundamental to any assessment of your performance as board members. <coughs> so in trying to get the executive to think both about it in terms of scenarios and risk and both about in terms of what happens if the money looks reduced by 20-30% in, in three years' time. How will we do what we do differently? And I think those are some of the real fundamental responsibilities for all of you as in, in your role as non-execs. So I'm going to pause there and sort of hopefully we've sort of began to talk about a bit about strategy, culture, about risk and about how you might push the envelope in terms of doing things differently. <laughs>